yet. Take your seats! Please, God! Back. Please, can we just cut? Can we just cut? I've had just about enough of this nonsense. Good afternoon. And the Oscar goes to Leonardo DiCaprio. Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live presents Losing It Over Leo. Today is a very special episode as they all are, because today we're talking about a movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Also today, that movie is going to be the first in the second period of of Leonardo DiCaprio's career. This is, um, oh, uh, what what would we call it? Mid-period Leo? So we just Uh, finished early period Leo, and now we're we're into the good period. This is actually, this is actually so good that like, all, I divided all of these up when we were deciding what movies we were going to cover. We divided these all up into like five movies per per period of his career. And we're missing good stuff in all of them. But like this one hurt me. This period hurt me a lot because we only had five movies here. And there's probably like 15 good movies between 2000 and 2010, roughly, that he's in. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we started off with a good one. Well, this is like... The first one in the period as well. But yeah, and uh, I, I would say this is, I mean, I'm going to agree with you. This is a good one. But also, this is a pretty important one because this is another big, like, first collaboration of yeah. Leo's. I realized that before this movie, between Titanic and this, it was, it's about five years, and he didn't actually do that much in that period. I think he had one or two other movies, but they weren't that big. So uh, I think this The was- Beach might have come out between then. Oh, yeah, I saw it was The Beach, but that movie bombed, I believe, right? Or yeah, something, it wasn't received that well. That's um, one that I'd eventually like to get on this, because I think that of all of his movies, that's like one of extremely few that didn't get good reviews. Yeah. So um, this, I think this is probably what, either the most important or second most important film in his career, if we're either Titanic or this one, because this is kind of what started his... Uh, reputable uh film career you know of just uh because i i'd I'd say consider titanic more of a uh a move like a event movie you know where Mm -hmm. his acting wasn't too important um but obviously like he gained a lot of notoriety for this this was the first movie that was you know on a very big scale but he was on a big scale and also he was a very important part of making the movie work and uh, I think what launched him to be able to work with uh, more directors such as Scorsese uh, in his next few movies here. Um, I think that uh, before we continue talking about this, we should probably say what the movie is. I don't know if we've done that Ooh, yet. That's a good point. Uh, this is Catch Me If You Can. That's the movie we're talking about today. 
Uh, it is his, it's Leonardo DiCaprio's first movie with Steven Spielberg. Uh, I believe his only movie with Steven Spielberg so far. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Oh gosh. He's, he's worked with a lot of good directors. I'm just on his filmography now, but anyway, it's his first movie with Steven Spielberg and Sp- yeah, Spielberg. And also his first movie with Tom Hanks. And I believe to this day, it's his only movie with both of them. Or with either of them, I guess. Yeah. And obviously, that's a pretty big step in anyone's career, I think. Yeah. Especially because uh, I think this is around where P- Spielberg kind of peaked, from what I can tell. Or, well, maybe it's either in the 80s or like this, or like the end of his peak, you know? Um, I mean, I, I can't think of any big, amazing movies he did after this. I'm going to say Spielberg's. I'm, I'm going to say that, like, if we wanted to just. Dis- if we wanted to like cut up Spielberg's career, I would say the eighties is where he peaked. And then he had another smaller peak around like 2000, the, the early 2010s. Really? I mean, there was, the... um, I was going to say Lincoln and Bridge of, of Spies. Mm. Bridge of then, Spies uh, was really good. You also have in 94, he had Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, I believe. Yeah. So maybe so. this was right at the end then. Yeah. I, I want to say like Lincoln kind of felt like the last, last like big critically acclaimed spielberg movie in my opinion but like it didn't it wasn't like classic spielberg you know this movie felt like classic spielberg if that makes sense i don't know why um, this this movie felt kind of in between for me because this movie um i'm going to i'm going to have you talk about how it relates to classic spielberg soon because i don't know that i fully agree but this movie feels a lot to me like um I haven't seen the post, but I imagine, but what I imagine the post is like, and it also feels very similar, fairly similar to Lincoln and very similar to bridge of spies. It's, mm, okay. uh, an, it's another of his historical movies and it, um, Oh, uh, it's a historical movie and it's very dry kind of, I would say. Yeah. And, um, the pacing is not, too slow but it is pretty slow like you watch this movie when you have two and a half hours free and like those two and a half hours feel like two and a half hours this is true um yeah i I don't argue with that at all Uh, but it's like i i wouldn't say it uh, any of them would be like paced really poorly you know none of that is necessarily a bad thing i just um I would say that, you know, a lot of the movies we've watched so far, you know, Titanic was three hours long and I still wanted to watch it again. I didn't always have the three hours. I didn't actually end up having the three hours to watch it a second time, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to watch it again because it was paced really well and very and it barely felt like three hours. Yeah, this movie was two and a half hours and it was paced very appropriately. I enjoyed that whole two and a half hours for sure. But I didn't really want to go back and watch it again because it it felt like two and a half hours. Yeah, it feels like it. it it's kind of like a, I don't know if it's necessarily an editing technique, but it's made to feel like you're truly experiencing the burden of of the main character's life. You know, so mm-hmm. like by the end of the movie, you're not like you're you're amazed by by kind of the epicness of it, but you're also a little exhausted by by living kind of living through his life. You know. Mm-hmm. so yeah yeah it's, it's uh interesting how how different how that different editing uh can work or maybe just the different story honestly 
but uh yeah so so uh can you tell us what the general concept of the film is i was just about to hand that off to you but now that uh you've done the same to me sure so uh this movie is about a guy uh frank abagnale jr there we go that's his name so frank abagnale jr uh that's leonardo dicaprio he is the son of like kind of a con like a pretty amateur con artist uh christopher walken who um he's he's pretty good at like small cons but eventually he gets caught by the irs and um his life kind of deteriorates from there uh eventually one of the things that happens is that he ends up divorcing his wife and frank doesn't want to frank being uh, in this case leo doesn't want to um doesn't want to pick which parent he wants to go to. So he runs away from home instead and decides to uh, fix everything. And in order to do that, he just, you know, he becomes a very successful con man himself. Uh, and so over the course of the movie, this, this movie basically follows him and the FBI agent who's on the case trying to get him. And uh, throughout, it, it goes through probably about, probably, a, I think it's three years of his life. And in those three years, he, become, he uh, pretends to be a pilot. And then he becomes like one of the most senior doctors at a Georgia um, children's hospital. And then he, gosh, what else does he do? I think he goes back lawyer. to being, oh yeah, he becomes a lawyer. Um, yeah, so he just cons his way into all of these things and has an extremely successful life all the while running from this uh, from the FBI agent played by Tom Hanks. Uh, did I miss anything important? I think that's kind of it. Uh, no, that's basically it. Um, so yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Basic thoughts. On Leo, let's talk about Leo first. So... I thought this movie was really funny and the re and basically the reason it was really funny was Leo and Tom Hanks's performances. I thought they mm. were really, really good. Um, I especially liked like Leo has already, he's already established himself by this point in his career as a very charismatic actor. And that's entirely on display here because his, I mean, his character in this, in this movie is like, he just maxed out the charisma stat and that's how he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, I, I I agree. He he's just all over the range here in a, a truly like amazing uh performance. Um because he's it's kind of similar to like you you do feel like reminiscent in some ways of like this boy's life in basketball diaries where you have this um this well actually it's a little different, but you have essentially this character's in pain the entire movie. Um and they have uh, different ways of kind of repressing that pain and not showing it, but it's kind of always there. Uh, in this case, his way of masking his pain is being very successful <laughs> and charismatic. So it's uh, it's kind of different from how he does it in his earlier movies. But you really uh, get drawn into the life of Frank Abagnale um, and just how... Uh, deep his character is you know because i really do think uh 
at the start for for someone that's not really paying attention it's it's very easy to kind of get swung away with how fun his performance is and that you're you're the audience is kind of thinking that his main goal in life is to be extremely successful without doing mm-hmm. any work essentially right mm-hmm. um but the truth is as we kind of slowly learn through the movie and is slowly revealed through Leo's acting is that his main goal is to bring his family back together. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of a kid that never really got to grow up properly because, you know, he ran away when he was 16 and he, he kind of became, had to become an adult right away. I kind of think that uh, on that note, this movie is a little bit of a transitional movie for him. Um, or at least it kind of feels like it because in a lot of the movies we've watched before this boy's life, what's eating Gilbert grape, the basketball diaries, Romeo and Juliet, Titanic, literally every movie we've watched before. Well, except maybe Titanic. He's, um, he's like a kid sort of coming of age in that movie in some way, shape or form. And in this movie that happens briefly at the beginning, but then the rest of the movie is him out on his own doing you know his things that are not necessarily specifically related to his family even though as you said he his goal is to sort of bring his family back from the dead essentially yeah and just but just with how the lengths he goes to do this is just like astounding and you're i feel like i'm left wondering like why would you care about going back to your family when you have all this you know yeah, uh, especially because he doesn't really seem to understand the family conflict. Uh, his his mother was at was cheating on his uh, father, and also they were that was kind of clearly a dead relationship. And he keeps going back to his father and being like, "You know what? You just gotta go. You gotta strut up to her. You gotta be confident, and she'll take you back in a minute." And that's and he completely ignores everything his father actually says when they meet each other. That's he just thinks that, oh, I can fix this and, you know, I'll, I'll get the money, but then the dad can do the rest. Yeah, which is unfortunate, too, because, like, I, I don't think Christopher, Christopher Walken actually was very good in this movie, too, by the way, uh, as well as the mother. I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. But uh, the fact the fact that neither is in my opinion, I don't think either of his parents were very good parents um, in any way. And, or and maybe in a couple ways, but overall, the it kind of shows because you know Christopher Walken, he's he's kind of teaching his son to to cheat through life, and he lies, he actively lies in front of his son towards others, and teaches them the wrong things, uh, and also kind of uses him to get what he wants. Uh, there's a scene where he he gets his Leo Leo to uh, pretend to be his his driver at the bank. Uh, and kind of cons his way into getting a free suit or a borrowing a suit for for Leo. Yeah, and but stuff like that. That's a really funny con to me because like what happens is so they he's his he gets Leo to pretend to be his driver. They go to the suit store. He lays out this sob story so that Leo can get a suit. And then they go to the bank and when they're at the bank what they do there is they sell the car for $500 more than it's worth. So at the very end of the day, what have they done? They've gotten a free suit and $500, which isn't nothing, but it's, you know, it's compared to what he does later on. It's kind of small potatoes for one day. Yeah. Even so, I don't, I think the car, my interpretation of, well, 
just to be clear, there's a scene where the family's kind of doing bad and then they sell their car. And Leo says, why did you sell our car? Like he stole it, basically stole it away. And Christopher Walken's character says, oh, we well, sold it $500 over him anyways. But I think I'm pretty sure that was a lie or he was kind of see like that's the thing. He was also kind of conning his son into believing he led this. He was insanely smart and like was always playing with other people. But like the truth is, I don't think he really was doing that um, because, yeah, I, I think it was kind of a lie that he sold the car more than it was worth. Yeah, I'm I mean, even if he even if it wasn't, it wasn't that much more than it was worth. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, like after shortly afterwards, uh, the entire family is basically bankrupt anyway. So, yeah, that was probably actually just a lie. Yeah. And then, yeah, then it brings up. Uh, the true motivation of the mother, which seems to be money, honestly, as portrayed in the movie, because uh, right, right when the family starts kind of downsizing, she she starts cheating on uh, Christopher Walken, and with his Christopher Walken's friend actually, and uh, kind of just forgets about Leo and never. I don't think he ever actually she actually sees him in person again, you know. So, and then eventually, you know, starts a new family, which is... Yeah, she does not see him in person. He does see her, but, like, through a window. Yeah, so it is really tragic uh, to see kind of the highs and lows of, of uh, Leo's character. Um, but, yeah, he, he played it all really well, you know, because he, he, he was playing both a kid and an adult at the same time. Mm-hmm. And... You you just kind of see slowly the the life kind of creeps out of him, you know. Yeah. Uh, by the end of the movie, he he doesn't even he he definitely he just feels like an old man, almost. That's see seen everything there. It's like he's he's seen the world and like realized there was nothing, there's nothing to it, you know. And he's just kind of dead inside. Uh, so it's kind of like a bittersweet ending, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, what what did you think of like movie overall, and not just uh, Leo? Well, overall, overall, I liked it. Like I said, I felt it was slow, not too slow, but it did sort of seem like, oh man, event movie is one thing. Like Titanic is an event movie, but this movie is like, I wouldn't watch a bunch of movies in one day with this being one of them. Like this is a movie that I would kind of take, take my time for because it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a lot to get through this movie span. It spans three years. Um, you see a lot of those three years. It's very, I don't, I don't want to keep saying it's slow paced. It's very deliberate, which I guess kind of means the same thing, but like <laughs> everything has a purpose and, and it's not, it, it's like slow paced without the insulting flavor of that, of that uh, phrase is what I'm yeah. trying to say. But like, um, yeah, overall I liked it. I thought it was really funny is what it came down to. Uh, yeah. There were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of good jokes. Um, oh man, there's a classic scam I keep thinking of, but it is not from this movie. Uh, darn. Um, yeah, I liked, I, I, I just like this movie. I don't really have that much to say about it, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I I did want to talk about like 
the general like plot i i did like i like the way he learned the stuff and the way he portrayed like the like it was the the scenes where he's kind of actively faking what he's doing um is are so fun to watch because honestly like they're really fun there's a lot of tension infused in them uh like the first scene when he's he's visiting uh the pilots uh the the pilots in the front of the plane and he's he's the deadhead or whatever he's just riding along and uh that scene is just so fun because it's so obvious he doesn't know what the hell he's doing it's kind of and... funny in scenes like that where like one or two characters clearly know that he doesn't know what he's doing, but also, but the rest are oblivious. And the one or two characters that know also, for whatever reason, they've already been established to be sympathetic to him. Like in that scene that you're talking about, the stewardess knows that he's clearly faking, but she thinks that he's charming and funny enough that she just kind of covers for him. Yeah, well, it was like part fake. Like it, it might just be that he doesn't, you know, he's like an amateur or whatever. Like the the thing is, like he's he's good at pretending enough that like no one really cares enough to really delve into why he doesn't know things, you know, it's just like, he seems, he seems kind of all right. So most people just go with the flow. Cause it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work to kind of dig into that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I love those scenes, especially. And then, but the thing is it just gets consistently like, cause at the start, he's just faking like, you know his career right um and then it just slowly delves into his faking his relation like his uh personality well maybe not personality but his uh his personal life too because uh once he becomes a doctor he uh he meets a nurse and he it seems like he feels bad for her he sees like a bit of himself in her so he kind of he basically marries her to make her feel better about her parents and which is kind of a hint at his motivation for everything and uh yeah and then it and then that's when he slowly devolves into insanity because now he's kind of emotionally manipulating people into believing that he's something he's not you know and not only to like a girl that he seems to have feelings for but also her parents, and then he has to get married behind it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, the, like, the the absurdity kind of mixes with the comedy. and uh, But it does have, like, a tragic It does have a tragic... Feel to it. it has a tragic end for it uh, more than anything. But, yeah, it's got a really tragic feel because um, this, this girl that he falls for and that, like, falls head over heels for him, he makes this plan to meet her uh, like he's about to get caught and he makes this plan to meet her in, I think Miami and fly to Europe where he is probably going to be safe. So she probably will be as well. And then that falls through and that's her last scene is her waiting in Miami and then eventually leaving. Yeah. Because he couldn't trust her essentially. Yeah. Um, which is obviously kind of ironic, but yeah, yeah, and then that kind of starts showing that he's truly alone. Because I, I think a big part of it, it was kind of weird that he chose Amy, Amy Adams. Amy Adams is the nurse he intends to marry in the movie. Amy Adams, which is I think one of her first 
roles, right? I don't think I'd seen her in anything before this. Uh, uh, and she looked very young in this, too. It's early in her career, for sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the whole... Because it seemed like, you know, he was... As a pilot, it was like he was getting any girl he really wanted because he was rich and he had a very respectable career. Mm-hmm. He um, got Jennifer then, Garner. Yeah, when, which was kind of a thinly veiled prostitute. Uh, I mean... Not even thinly. It was it was pretty overt. I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. So it was interesting that he chose uh Amy Adams' character, especially because of how it 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 definitely felt more of a he's he he was trying to do the right thing. You know, he felt really bad for her because I think he he might have been younger than her, honestly, but he. He was pretending to be like 10 years older than he actually was. Oh, yeah, because he and, said he was 27. And yeah, she was, yeah, she was probably actually older than him in the context of this movie. Yeah, because she was a nurse. So she probably went to college of some sort. So like 21, 22, I'm going to guess. Uh, but yeah, so stuff like that was just kind of really interesting to watch because it, it added a lot more depth to his motivations because it, it like he, he's a liar but in the end it it's kind of like the corny you know a thief with the heart of gold um actually but in this yeah sorry yeah. go ahead oh no i was gonna say I, I was probably gonna derail the conversation i'll hold it for a second just sure. finish what you were saying uh well just the whole he's trying to do the right thing you know and he doesn't entirely know what that is um mm. obviously this it really highlights that family is really important to him um because it's something that was taken away from him and his whole motivation for marrying her comes down to he wants to fix someone else's family for them because he said i think it was like what if i married you would your would your parents accept you you know Mm -hmm. Uh, because she hadn't talked to her parents for a long time and uh and then obviously that that delves uh tragedy but it's it's kind of like the last stroke of really showing who this guy is. Because when he's a pilot at the start, it's it feels very much just like there's this guy living the dream with no care in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then him kind of getting emotionally attached uh, starts bringing it to towards the inevitable conclusion of, like, uh, of him losing everything. So, yeah. What were you going to say? Uh, well, I was going to say, I, I guess I'm probably technically wrong about this now, but I was going to say this movie, like Thief with a Heart of Gold, like, oh, he's a bad guy, but he's not really a bad guy. Seems like kind of, I noticed with this movie that this movie feels like a lot of other Steven Spielberg movies, like his, his historical movies, if I, as I said, or not even necessarily historical because it feels very much like The Terminal as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, really any Steven Spielberg movie that has Tom Hanks in it has kind of the same feel to it, I guess, except Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, that would make um, sense. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to say, like, I reminded just the thief with a, the criminal with a heart of gold just seems like a, I don't know that that's actually something he does all the time, but it felt so familiar for in this movie. Um, maybe it's because of Bridge of, Sp- Bridge of Spies, where... Uh, the main conflict is about a guy who is almost certainly a spy, but technically that's never confirmed. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, I just I, I felt that like Steve. I, I felt that like I don't know if that's a strong part of this movie or a weak part of this movie where the bad guy of the movie, Frank Abagnale, is he he's he's a bad dude, but really he's just he's he's just a kid who wants to get back to his parents. And it's like I, I that's the point of this movie, sure. But I that's kind of it kind of seems like a uh, I don't know how to uh, how best to say this. There's I feel like sometimes there's a difference between nuance and uh, just excusing a bad dude. And I don't think that this is necessarily the movie to make that argument. Like, I think a better example of that would be, um, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, the the Ted Bundy movie that came out. Um, extremely wicked. Sh- yeah, extremely mm. wicked, shockingly evil and vile. You know, it, it puts on the the mask of nuance for this character, but actually it's just excusing a bad guy. And I I mean, again, I bring that up now and this is really not the movie for it, but I just sort of, I just sort of noticed that. And I'm like, why is he not more? Why, why do we have to root? Why, why am I rooting for this guy? Which through the movie, you know, it, it made sense. It's because it's his story and that's the point. But I just I just noticed that with this movie, I guess. I it just sort of made me think of a lot of other movies where the nuance isn't well, where the where the bad guys where, where the person who's clearly in the wrong isn't as nuanced as Steven Spielberg can do in these movies. Yeah, that's fair. I think like it it kind of reminds me of like the Wolf of Wall Street dilemma, ironically mm-hmm. also with Leo, or coincidentally also with Leo, that it 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 the main message is to kind of show that this lifestyle is not great but then mm-hmm. i think for a general audience member it's very easily perceived the movie is very easily perceived to be supporting or almost celebrating that lifestyle you know because you know i think the reason that that comes across like that the reason that it seems like it's celebrating this lifestyle is in the end the guy gets rewarded for it. Uh, in the end of this movie, Leonardo DiCaprio is hired by the FBI as a uh, counterfeit bank check consultant. Yeah. And, <laughs> Which they um, clarify. I, I, it almost kind of ruins the message, even though it's based on a true story because of yeah. how successful he, he ends up. He, can be, he ends up becoming more successful than when he was lying, I guess. But it's be kind of because of his lying that he got rich. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it kind of does that in The Wolf of Wall Street, too. I guess we'll get into it a little more once we talk about The Wolf of Wall Street. But at the end of The Wolf of Wall Street, yeah, he goes to jail for a while, but he gets out and then he writes a book and he gets a movie made about that book and he's and extremely money. successful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, though, that I, I think it was kind of necessary because it is honestly like a really tragic character. I personally, when I personally like because I've seen the movie a couple times. Um, I think I was able to reflect on it more. It just, I don't think the movie was too active. It was, it was intending to portray it as ridiculous, like kind of bad, you know, his lifestyle in that, like he wasn't really, even though he was on paper, like this was the lifestyle that a lot, many people dreamed of. He wasn't really getting what he wanted because his main goal was I, I guess it's it's kind of like um uh, I I noticed really good movies I read this uh in this book 
about storytelling, but really good characters have kind of a surface motivation and an underlying motivation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frank Abagnale has, it looks like the the surface motivation was just to get successful, right? And to live an amazing life. Uh, but he's kind of lying to himself because the tr- his true motivation was always just to, to regain his family, you know? So if you look at his main motivation, he never, he kind of just never gets that. Uh, the only resolution he kind of gets is Tom Hanks being his father figure character. Uh, yeah. There's the a, end. there's a pretty interesting subplot. Well, I mean, obviously their relationship is at the, the relationship between him and Tom Hanks's character, uh, which is what's his name? Carl Hanratty uh, is at the yeah. center of this movie. But there's kind of a, so I can't really call it a subplot. But there's there's sort of a cool dynamic there where every Christmas, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio calls up the FBI so he can talk to Carl Hanratty, and actually, like he always basically turns himself in at that point. Just that Carl Hanratty doesn't trust him enough to actually check. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is, he's actually, despite lying to him many times, he's he's surprisingly honest towards Carl because Carl's actually basically the only person who knows the real Frank. You know, mm-hmm. not like not even his parents know because he lies to his parents uh, constantly. But Frank, Frank, or Carl is the only one that's seen his face, knows everything he's doing, and uh, as as the movie says, he's like trying to catch him the whole time, which ends up being the only thing that gives Frank any value. Yeah, pretty much. So it makes sense that kind of in the end, he's, he becomes the only family he has because Carl's the only one that truly knows him. And mm. ends up caring about him too because uh, in the third, or I like half, most of the way through the third act, uh, when, actually no, it's revealed at the start, uh, Frank, when he gets captured, he, he's he's left in prison for four years before getting extradited to America. And this was all because of Carl trying to get him back, you know, mm-hmm. for four years. And not like his father or nor his mother really did anything to to rescue him. So I don't know that they necessarily could have, but yeah. Yeah, well, like, you know, I don't even think they... Well, obviously the mother didn't know... Uh, when he came back, so she didn't have a vested interest. The father, um, spoilers, I guess, the father's dead. So, like, yeah, he, I guess he yeah. couldn't, he literally could not have an active role in that. But I don't think he would have anyways, honestly. Probably not. He was also, uh, his father was in deep trouble with the IRS as well. Yeah. So, I, I don't know how many, how much influence he'd have on the government anyways. But yeah, so I think for for someone, if, if you don't think about the movie enough, this sounds really uh, prestigious. And uh, but if 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 you kind of look at the movie on the surface, it does seem like it's glorifying that lifestyle. But yeah, in, in the end, I, I in my opinion, Frank never truly gets what he craved. So it makes sense um, because yeah, like money, money is kind of replaceable you always get a chance to make more money in my opinion uh yeah for the most part but like family and childhood is lit like you literally can never 
get that again, right? And that that's technically what he was chasing the entire time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, it was it was a, a good way of capturing that. I will I will agree though that it it it, it felt lighthearted for the sake of being like a Spielberg movie and more ex- acceptable to like uh, kind of like a, it felt like a family movie almost, even mm-hmm. though it, I don't, cause I think it was rated. It might've been rated R. Was there nudity at all? Or I, there may have been nudity. There was definitely swears. Yeah. It felt like an adult movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's really what it comes down to is, this movie is it's 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 good. It's a good like vaguely historical movie. Obviously, there's bits and pieces that are changed from probably a lot that's changed from the actual story. But it's a it's a good it's a historical movie. But it kind of feels like Steven Spielberg is using uh, he's not using this story to actually say anything meaningful. He's using it to tell a fun story, which is fine. Yeah. It's just that's that I think sums up kind of my thoughts on a lot of Spielberg's history, uh, historical movies. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Well, yeah, not Saving Private Ryan. Well, no, but the thing about Saving Private Ryan, too, there's there are lots of points about, you know, war and um, getting getting along with people. Well, like war and human interaction and stuff in that movie. However, it's not exactly a hard hitting like it's not as hard hitting a war movie as some other movies are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more, it's more that Steven Spielberg is making a movie than that. He's making like a statement is just kind of what it seems like. And yeah. that's not to say that Steven Spielberg doesn't also express opinions through his art, but you know, it just, the most important thing is to make a movie that people will like. Yeah. And that's, that's true. It was a good time. And, uh, I'll always like it. It didn't feel like a huge, my like burden to watch. You know, even though it was yeah. it was tiring to watch. It was just like I had a great time. Like I I almost want to compare it to like family movies, like Jurassic Park. As stupid as that sounds, just like because of the momentum of it and like uh, kind of like the youth. I feel like the youthful innocence slash spontaneity. You know. Uh, he just captures that very well. Spielberg's very good at that. Uh, mm-hmm. Like other other things I can think of is like, like when I was saying like Spielberg style, you know, like I think in movies like Ready Player One, uh, E.T., you know, stuff like that that captures like the that childhood innocence while also and and keeping that um available to adults, you know, even mm-hmm. though this movie was a lot more mature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I t- Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just gonna. I just wanted to mention the soundtrack was really, really good in this. Okay, I, I it... that is. I was literally about to mention the soundtrack. Oh, perfect. That is a point of contention between us because oh, I think no. the soundtrack was good, but I thought that it also it really frustrated me actually a lot because I thought the the main theme of this movie was very good and it was used very poorly in a lot of spots. Uh, in particular, the very beginning of the movie, just I just really hated the opening crawl, and I didn't want to because it's an excellent. What it is is it's kind of uh, it's kind of evoking the uh, the the Pink Panther movies in a way. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the intent, but that's what it feels like. And um, so what it is is it's this animation of 
you know, an animated, uh, an animated dude who's basically Frank Abagnale running from a different animated dude uh, who just can't catch him because that's the name of the movie. Uh, who's who's based on the FBI agent. So it's like this cat and mouse game between them, and the music underneath it is the theme of the movie, but it's the wrong version of the theme of the movie because seeing as it's an opening crawl, you need something that's a little more bombastic and holds your attention, where yeah. the version that they do in the opening crawl is the most... It's the most sleepy version of the of the mean of the main theme that they have, and it's really upsetting because I was wondering, is that just going to be the tone of this movie? Like, is this movie going to have a soundtrack that's fine but really sleepy? But later on, during a scene where they almost have him, where they're about to like they're about to get Frank, and then he gets away, they have a bombastic version of that theme. So it really bothers me that for the opening crawl, they picked the non-exciting version of that theme to and and paired it with what they did because that is exactly like if if you've you've seen the Pink Panther movies, right? Literally any of them. Yeah. 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 The beginning of the Pink Panther movies, that crawl that opening is done so well and it's done so well just from the animation and the um and the song that they pick for that, that it's that that opening, that five minute opening spawned its own cartoon series because it was just that good. And this one like kind of evokes the same thing, but it falls completely flat in the music specifically. And for that reason, like I was on my phone most of the time while I was watching it or while I was watching that. And like, I, I got it. I saw it. But like it wasn't exciting. It didn't keep me engaged even a little bit because the soundtrack was completely off for that scene. And I feel like the 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 I feel like an opening crawl, like not an opening. Well, I'm I'm probably using the wrong word here. Opening titles can not necessarily make or break your movie, but a really good opening title sequence can be better than like can can. In- prove a movie a lot like there was a movie that came out last year called spies in disguise that movie is fine it's pretty decent it's a good kids movie there's some funny performances uh i don't remember most of it the opening titles to that movie were incredible i remember them better than the movie so you know i just really appreciate good opening titles and i feel like this movie tried for it and failed pretty miserably um, I, <laughs> I, actually, I don't know if you I feel as strongly on that. Really as I thought do. of it that much. Uh, I, I was mostly just going to say like the, the soundtrack, I liked how it felt very, uh, momentum based. It really kept the momentum flowing in the movie. Uh, I was like talking about the opening credits. Uh, I guess I kind of agree. Uh, I I'd say my, I don't think it was really necessary. Um, and like I think my biggest complaint is how childish it feels. Uh, it, it I, I honestly felt like I was about to watch like a Pixar movie or something, you know? Yeah. With yeah. how with how childish it was, and like in terms, I actually don't really remember the differences in the score at the start, but I I see what you mean that like why use the worst ver worse worser slash like lamer version when you can kind of uh ramp up the audience right from the start with like a a much more full theme 
Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I didn't really like it because I, yeah, I just felt too cartoony. I kind of like sets the tone of the movie sort of well though, you know, like it, it puts you in the mood for a fun movie, I guess. So yeah. that might be partly why, like, even though with the really dark uh, subject matter in some cases that it, it, it does consistently remain that fe- feeling fun, you know? So, yeah, but it, it, overall, like if I had to choose whether to keep that in or not, I might have, I might just take it out. I think uh, that it probably could have benefited from just different opening titles. Like I like the idea with that, but it was botched so much. And I don't think that it contributed enough to the movie in any, like, like you said, it sort of, it set the tone for the movie, but it also looked very childish compared to what the movie needed to be. And, you know, if it was good enough on its own that that works, cool. But I don't think it was. So I think that I also probably would have just dropped that. Yeah. Um, other than that, though, I really... Like, oh, I, like again, overall, I, like the movie's really solid. I, I really have kind of have issues with the ending, though. That was the only prop thing that kind of threw me off because of how lame it felt you know i don't it might have been spielberg trying to contrast it like the whole movie was always very exciting and kind of went along with audience expectation of just like consistently like ramping up uh ramping up the stakes you know but the end of this like because the main conflict is just uh, essentially like whether Frank is going to run away again, you know, and he almost does it at the end. And then Tom Hanks kind of gives him like a speech or a talk that leads him to staying. But Mm -hmm. the, the app, it just, it didn't feel right, you know, because we didn't really get a huge, it just felt really lame because essentially Leo shows up the next day and he comes to work, and then the movie ends, you know? And there's yeah, kind of this, like, fake tension at the end of, like, ooh, is he really going to come back? But it's, like, so obvious that he is. It's like, why are you trying to uh, trick me with this, you know? I actually think it's almost a missed opportunity there, because at the very beginning, they set up a framing device that they immediately drop, uh, where Frank Abagnale Jr. is on this um, this show that... It's, it's like a show from the 70s. I don't remember what it's called. But they just like introduce three different people who look similar uh, and are dressed the same. And they say, you know, one of these people is real. The rest, uh, one of these people is the person that we're actually describing. And the other two are lying. So figure out which one's the real person. And it's just to like expose, well, not really expose scam artists, but it sounded like the context was that they would bring on people that, were known for scamming, I guess. I don't know if this is a real thing. It sounds like a way too niche of a show to actually exist. But, like, they would bring on scam artists and then just, like, have people guess and see if they could figure out the guy, figure out who was the scam artist because, or or if they were all just good enough at lying that they couldn't or something. I don't know. But anyway, they set that up, and it's, like, the 70s game show, and that's how... And once Leonardo DiCaprio starts talking in that scene, uh, he just like it goes into the movie and um, it's kind of a neat framing device. 
and then they forget to ever bring it back. Yeah, I actually forgot about it until now. That's a good point. It, it was, was like kind of a cool hook because yeah. it introduces him as well a con artist, right? In a kind of a fun way. But it's just like a con why... artist, but also a young eligible bachelor. Well, there you go. <laughs> it sets up so many things. Amazing script economy. Um but yeah, like that that act that's actually a good point. It could have ended on that, you know, kind of seeing his life it's, instead of like the you know the the stereotypical text on screen after a, a based on a true story is is shown, even though like the movie is very different from what they are portraying. And then you uh, know at the end, what they could have done is he could have said essentially you know the bullet points of that text over the uh, text on the screen, and then they could have had it could have been funny because they could have someone guess wrong. Yeah. Right. Like. There, it's actually like such a cool uh, setup. Nothing happens. Damn. Yeah, like that. That would have been nicer because I just didn't feel the resolution I wanted for such a kind of like I want to say like an epic movie, like of a personal journey, you know. But that it ends with just this guy showing up to work. Like I don't know how I can't think of a way they could have done it differently because it makes sense that like he that that's the resolution of his character you know is deciding to stay for once but just the way they filmed it was just bland and uh i don't know not what i expected and it feels it kind of feels like all the threads in the movie were a lot of them were just ditched and uh it was resolving just a very part small part of the themes of the movie yeah so uh yeah, it just felt like disappointing. But honestly, like I can't truly complain. Uh, it just could have been better. You know, it had it had a lot more potential. I just don't know how Spielberg could have done it differently. But yeah, that's. Right. I think that's my only main gripe with the movie. Yeah, there are just things that seemed like they could have gone somewhere and didn't. Yeah, which I, I we technically got. Like with the family, I guess we technically got resolution for that in like the credits, you know, or not the credits, but the the biographical text of showing mm-hmm. where he went next, where he's like he has his own family now, you know. Uh, but just yeah. Anyways, small gripe. Um, but yeah, overall, just a very fun movie. I think it definitely portrayed Leo as like. Someone that that is able to take on bigger and bigger roles, mm-hmm. and uh, I it just if it honestly kind of feels like a classic to me. Uh, when I, I loved it the first time I watched it, this time it was like really enjoyable too. And yeah, I'd say like um, overall, like I, I want to say it's like a solid like eight out of ten, maybe eight point five. Uh, just great, solid story, solid acting, great directing. Um, and a, a great score. <laughs> I think that I would put it at like a six and a half or a seven. Like it's it's fine. It's it's good. It's better than average. But like, I I just wasn't really captivated by this movie. Fair enough. Um, um, I think this is this like the most we've disagreed on a movie, at least in the Leo section. In We're the Leo, pretty se- close. In the Leo section, maybe. 
Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it's weird, too, because we agreed on pretty much all the individual points, just like how good it was at the end. Yeah. <laughs> where we... But, um, yeah. oh, man. And you know what? That's not going to happen again for a while, because the next four, the next three movies we have are Martin Scorsese movies. We're going to start talking about Martin Scorsese something absurd. Awesome. I'm excited. What's our next movie? So uh, next week, we're going to talk about Gangs of New York. Uh, Gangs of New York is his first collaboration, I believe, with Martin Scorsese and his only movie to date with, uh, gosh, where's the guy's name? What's the guy's name? Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm excited for that. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, I've actually, I don't, I've seen Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln and that's it. So I had considered... um, Back when we were throwing around the idea of, uh, cre- of, of creating a podcast devoted to one actor, I had considered at some point, I don't know if I ever actually said it, but I'd considered Daniel Day-Lewis because Daniel Day-Lewis has, is an actor who is extremely choosy with his roles. Uh, I think he's been in 10 movies and that's it. Yeah, and, and like almost one of the most every- acclaimed actors of our time. Oh, yeah. Every one of the... Okay, he's been in more than 10 movies, but every one of the movies that he's been in is, like... Every one of the movies he's been in is... Well, that's not fully true. Most of the movies he's been in have been acclaimed, and the vast... And at least about half of them have gotten him nominated for Golden Globes, BAFTAs, Academy Awards, or all three. Yeah. So it'll be cool to truly... Honestly, like probably one of the only actors that are equally acclaimed to Leo, you know, um, in my opinion. So yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to see the the how they work together. And and by this time, I mean he has Daniel Day Lewis has been in movies since 1971. Technically, uh, his first role was 1971. His second was 1982. So he is a more senior actor. By the time that uh, Gangs of New York comes out, they have been in similarly many movies. So it'll be, that's, that's just going to be kind of interesting to see. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's going to be amazing to see that. Never seen it before. And uh, yeah, any, any final thoughts? On Catch Me If You Can, I'm going to yeah. say this was, it, it was good. It was fine. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. I don't know that I would watch it again. I, I wouldn't be eager to watch it again because, like, it was just, <laughs> it, was, it was slow enough that even though it was well paced, I feel like now that I've seen it, I have gotten pretty much the entire experience out of that movie. Uh, yeah, just to touch on that, I, I do agree. Like watching it the second time, I didn't really feel like I missed out on anything the first time. So uh, yeah, but I would recommend, definitely recommend it if you have not seen it before. Um, I think I guess the last thing I want to say on this is um, this movie was originally no, well, maybe not originally. One of the early choices to direct this movie was uh, Lassa Halstrom, which I don't know if you remember that name. But Lassa Hallstrom is uh, the person who directed Gilbert Grape. Oh, wow. Um, so he didn't direct it, obviously. But how, how different do you think this movie would have been with him, with him in the director's chair instead of, uh, instead of Steven Spielberg? Um, worse? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I do not think it would have been 
an improvement, but I honestly can't picture it. I'm not sure. I mean, I've only seen the only Lasse Hallstrom movie I've seen is uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And I know he does have, no, I've seen Chocolate, uh, Chocolat too, which is another movie by him. Um, he must have, he has range for sure because he's done the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, which I don't know if that necessarily speaks to how good a director he is. I guess I haven't seen it. Um, but he's done, oh my God, I've seen The Hoax too. My goodness. Okay, he's done a lot of different movies, so he has range. So I don't know that it would necessarily be exactly like What's Eating Gilbert Grape, but uh, it would be definitely a lot different. And I don't know that he could have pulled it off as well as Steven Spielberg did, for sure. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I I think it might have been cool to see maybe like a darker director have a take on it. Like, like this is kind of like a an obvious one, I think. But like Scorsese taking on this, I think would have been fun because uh, I think the the lightness of the script. I think I think Scorsese maybe would have been better to ha- would have better better able to handle like the darkness of it. I uh, possibly. Yeah. I actually agree with you on all of that. Uh, the only thing I would say is I don't know that I want to see this a version of this movie done by Scorsese because I feel like I already have with The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, they're very similar movies. They're, they're similar in theming anyway, kind of. True. So, yeah. But yeah, um, I don't know where we're going with this. But yeah, I, I, I don't... Yeah. Just from like watching Gilbert Grape, from what I remember, I didn't... I didn't feel like the directing was a lot of what made that movie. It just it kind of felt lame. I don't know. It might have been just the type of movie it was, but, uh, but I, I think didn't I... feel any any much like reputable talent behind it, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I do think that Steven Spielberg, even if it wasn't always immediately noticeable, he definitely brought his distinct directing style to this movie where... The three movies, apparently, that I've seen by Lasse Hallström are anchored very heavily on their performances. Uh, The directing is fine. It's competent, but it's not special. Where someone like Scorsese or Spielberg really has a special directing style that you immediately notice. Mm -hmm. A little extra oomph. Yeah. All right. So that's Catch Me If You Can. Next week, we'll be back with Gangs of New York, and then we'll... Never stop talking about Scorsese, apparently. Yay. See you guys next week.